0: Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Good, good. You sure you're awake this morning? If you have your Bibles, if you can turn to Matthew chapter 6, i greatly appreciate that. Take out your message outline. i appreciate that, too. Years ago, I used to go golfing with a bunch of guys, and I would see each one of them as they approached the ball. They would come up to the ball, and they would have this beautiful backswing, and then they would power through the ball, and the ball would go sailing, off, all the way down to that short green grass called the fairway, right in the center of it. And then I would get up there and I would try to do the same. I would try to get up there and I'd go back and I'd hit the ball, but for some reason it didn't work for me. They would go to the right or go to the left and it didn't go as far. And I always wondered, how come they can do it so well and I do it so poorly? I'm not a really good golfer. And I thought, maybe that's the way you view prayer. That you say, boy, I uh, I listen to some people pray, and it's like they they go to the, I'm coming into the throne room of God, and they're praying. It seems like their prayers just connect, and they work, and everything like that. I don't know if this has ever happened to you where you're praying to God. I mean, you're praying to Him. Maybe it's during your prayers before you go to bed or during the day or whenever you pray. And you're praying to Him. You're saying the words, and you're praying to God. But as you get into that prayer, maybe the second or third sentence, all of a sudden your mind just kind of wanders off to something else. Does that ever happen to anyone? Yes, also a few of you do say, it's just not me, right? It, it happens to all of us. It happens to us at time to time. We're praying and we just lose kind of focus there. We know we're praying to God and, and we just lo- lose our attention from Him and we go someplace else. And Jesus knew all that and He said, Let me teach you how to pray. But let me not teach you how to pray, not like the Pharisees and the scribes. He's saying this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. The Pharisees and the scribes in these religious leaders, what they would do. They would do do this theatrical performance in their prayers so other people would see them and doing that. And so they would repeat, 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 repeat. And they thought because of the repetition now, God was obligated to answer their prayer. Or they'd go into like the street corner or someplace when it was time to pray. So everyone would see them praying and say, Wow, they are so spiritual. They are so holy. And Jesus said, Don't do it like that. Don't be like those. But he says, When you pray, Go into your home and close the door, get in the room and close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen, and you'll hear your prayers. Does that mean God doesn't want us to pray publicly? No, that's not what it means at all. What he says, don't be like the hypocrites and do your prayer like a theatrical performance. Make sure your private prayer matches your public prayer. If you're going to do that in public, you better be doing it in private. Just make sure your private prayer matches your public prayer. But if we want to have transforming prayers— Maybe our prayers need to be transformed. Transforming prayers start with transforming prayer. And that's what Jesus wanted to help us with. Right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to share with us, if you have your outlines, three ways to have your prayers transformed so we can have transforming prayers. And the first change, or focus is, move away from me-centered to Christ-centered or from me-centered to God-centered in our prayers. Verse 9 and 10. He says this, This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first two words of that prayer tell us everything we need to know about a focus of our prayer. That the focus of our prayer is not, this is what we want. No, Father, this is who you are, right? He's our Father. Our is a plural, personal pronoun, speaking not of ownership, but of intimacy, intimacy he's talking about. We have this relationship. You're our God, we are yours, and we come to you, right? That's what he wants for us. And then the word father reminds us of our our adoption into his family, and he invites us to come to him and, and call him Abba Father, call him Daddy. That's what he wants, that intimate relationship, to call him Daddy. So we have this intimacy. We know that God is there for us, but then he says in heaven. What does that mean, our Father in heaven? It reminds us of distance. It reminds us that God is transcendent, uh, that our God, while he's our father and he's intimate father, it also He's transcendent, that he's otherly like. And he reminds us of his sovereignty. It reminds us of his majesty, his glory, his dominionship, his creativity. That is our God. So who is he? And you've heard me talk about this before. Who is he? Is he our father? Is he is this? We have this intimate relationship with him. Uh, we can call him daddy. He knows every hair on our head. Or is this God that's 100 billion miles away and who takes care of only the big things, who has a sovereign rulership over this world that he created out of nothing? Who is he? Well, God is both, right? He's both. He is otherly and transcendent, yet he's this intimate and close father. He's imminent, the Bible says. And this is the beauty and the majesty and, and the mystery of our God that we don't understand, but that's who he is. He's far off. He's otherly, transcendent, but he also is imminent. He's close. We have this intimate relationship with him. And we make a huge mistake when we claim this God at the expense of who he is as well. He is both. He's otherly and he's here. And also he's far away. And, and we worship this God. We worship him as what we come to him. So we come to him and we say, our father. And as we say that, our hands go up. As if to say, we're here. And we hold nothing in our hands. That you're our father. And we give our hearts to you. And you're our dad. And we come here and recognize that. You've adopted us into your family in a sovereign way, and you paid a very high price. The precious blood of Jesus, our Father in heaven, right? We come to him, our Father in heaven. And we come and we recognize that. And that's what he's saying, start off your prayers. And then he gives us three requests. or three petitions. All of them are related here. He starts off, hallowed be your name. It means to be set apart. It means to be holy. The name was the individual. It described them. The names of God describe who he is. That's why we just can't have one name of God. Because one, known, not one name can contain the majesty and the mystery and the glory and, and, and the broadness of who God is. His name describes who he is. May his name be above all other names. Matter of fact, he even has one of the commandments that say, don't misuse the name of the Lord our God. And so we glorify his name, and his name is holy in our world and in our lives. That's what he's saying. It's holy wherever we go the name of God. It's holy be your name. Holy, set apart from us, right? He's in another category. Hallowed be your name. And then in verse 10, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This kind of goes hand in hand. Your kingdom come. Many times I've had people over the years ask me, why are my prayers not answered? And some people ask me, why does God allow evil in the world? This is probably one of the most asked questions that sometimes I've asked. And And the answer is a long answer for that, but let me try to answer it really quickly. uh, Very simplify it for us this morning. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, they sinned, right? And the world is broken. The world's broken. It's never the same again. It's broken. And the sin that we experience today was never the plan of God. The the illness that we endure was was never the plan of God. The broken relationships that have caused so much pain in our lives was never the plan of God. The world is broken. We need to understand this world is broken. It is broken. And we look around and we expect it to be different. And we all want it to change. We all want it to be this perfect world. That's what we want. We want it. So we don't understand when imperfection comes into our lives. We don't understand when death and cancer and disease and heartache and heart attacks come into our life. And not understanding this we often lash out at God, or we blame God, or we blame ourselves. And what we need to understand, the world is broken. Can I say it again? This world is broken. And there's no political party, there's no election that's going to fix this broken world that's going to change any of it. It is broken the way it is. It's not going to get better. It's broken. And so we ask to navigate through this broken world in which you and I live in. As we navigate through this wondering world, we're asking, how am I ever going to make it? How can I make it through this broken world? He says, our Father in heaven, your will be done. Our Father in heaven, may your will be done on this earth. Is what we pray, what we ask for. I don't know about you, but many times I get so angry inside when I look at the evil that's going on in the world. Do you do that? In the last few years, there's something that's really bothering me. When I look at around, and it seems like the last few years it's been prevalent where you're seeing, it used to be the elderly in our world were respected, and it was hands off. Don't touch them, don't bother them. But just to see, recently, you're seeing that people are attacking elderly people, many times defenseless, beating them up and robbing them. You see it on the Internet, breaking in their homes and doing all kinds of things. And then when I think about abortion, all the abortion is talking about, and this baby doesn't mean anything. And to me, it's it's very easy to see that life begins at conception. And then you talk about late-term abortions. And people act like this baby isn't important. It doesn't have any life. And I look at that, and it makes me so angry inside. How about you? Those things make you angry, and you look at this, and I say, God, may your kingdom come in our world, yet evil increases. And I pray, God, may your kingdom come in our world, yet evil increases. And I pray again, God, may your kingdom come in our world, and yet evil increases. And we look around, and I'm sure you pray the same thing. And let's never forget that though the sin and the wrong in our our world seems often so strong, God is still ruling. God is still on the throne. He's still on the throne today, and He has not changed one bit at all. And the day will come where all this junk and all this pain and all this disease and all this cancer will go away. It will come one day. It's going to happen. And I've had people ask me, "Why is it that when I pray that my prayers and I ask God to answer me to heal me, why doesn't He not answer my prayers?" And I've come to the cl- conclusion in my life that God always heals. Right? He always heals. He always does. And not always the way we want him to heal, but sometimes God heals immediately, and the Bible talks about that in Psalm 126. When he said it's like God answers our prayers like in the stream and in Negev in the desert where they only get about four inches of rain, but usually that four inches of rain comes like all at one time. And it comes so fast that they have flash floods that happen, right, right then. just comes all of a sudden. And God's blessing comes so rapidly sometimes in our own lives. And that's what we pray for, isn't it? God, heal that person of cancer, of that disease, or whatever they have. We pray that, and sometimes God does that. And the psalmist talks about when that happens. We step back and we say, God, I can't believe this is a wonderful thing that God has has done before our eyes, and we're amazed. And God does that sometimes, right? He heals immediately, just like that God heals, and he does it. Amen for that, right? And sometimes God heals gradually. He uses modern medicine and and chemotherapy and that kind of thing and and, kind of does a bypass on the heart. Heart bypasses and stents and organ transplants and gradually heals the person through medicine, surgery, and other things. And then sometimes God heals ultimately. Then we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and then we have a funeral. That's ultimate healing that God has healed them. So God always, always heals. If God always healed the way that we wanted them to heal every time that we prayed instantaneous prayer, if God always healed like that, then we reduce God to an ATM machine, right? Or we reduce them to some cosmic vending machine that I push the button what I want God to do, and then we have to ask, who's God, Him or me? If God always answered my prayer every time I ask, or if God always answered the prayer just like I want Him to do, then my strength would never grow. My faith would never grow. And I'd never grow stronger in my faith if God gave me everything I wanted every time that I prayed. We would never grow because God would answer right away. But he doesn't operate that way, does he? He doesn't work that way because God has a plan. And his plan is not moved by you and I. He's got a plan he's doing in our life. And you and I have to conform to his plan. So you and I are traveling in this world of pain and brokenness and hurt and sorrow. And yet this prayer has been prayed a million times. People have prayed it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? We pray that, we pray that. When are those prayers going to be answered? God, when are you going to answer that prayer that we've been praying and asking? The kingdom of God is one sense here, but not yet. The kingdom of God is in our heart because Jesus reigns in our hearts, right? But when is the day going to come? And God is going to answer all those millions of prayers now, my kingdom comes when is he going to answer that you know in the tribulation time uh, uh during the martyred saints were praying that in revelation chapter 7 and verse 14 they were saying god how long is it going to be before your kingdom comes how long is it going to be and the answer came back and it says just a little bit longer just a little bit longer and then in revelation chapter 19 verse 15 It happens. And breaking through the clouds is Jesus coming on riding on a white horse and following his myriad of heavenly hosts, the angels. And the saints are riding with him, coming back. And Jesus is coming back. And the words will proceed out of his mouth. And the Bible says he will strike down the nations. And his kingdom will come. And the lion will lie down with the lamb. And mercy and truth and righteousness and peace will come together in an amazing way. And the world will be transformed. And all those things that bring tears of pain to our hearts today will be gone, all of them. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more heart attacks. There will be no more arthritis. There will be no more diabetes. There will be no more high blood pressure. There will be no more dementia or Alzheimer's. There will be no more abortion. It's all gone. It's finished. It's over. He's saying, his kingdom will come. That's when all that's going to happen. So you and I are looking for God to give us the perfect world here. God said it's not going to happen till then. So you and I are asked to go through this broken world and all the things that's going around us, right? And Jesus, what he's trying to do is transform our prayers so that our prayers might be transforming. And the way to do that, he's saying, even though the world is broken, and you're getting all lost with all the things happening around us and our focus are all over here. He says, take yourself, your focus off yourselves and all those things around you and put your focus on him. That's what he's telling us to do. Transform your prayers by getting off all these things. All this is going to happen. You're saying, I want the perfect world. There's not going to be any death or those things. Jesus said, it's going to come when my kingdom comes. When I set up my kingdom, it will happen. But Right now, you live in this world, and we're asked to go through this world and trust God in every area of our life. But continue to pray, and our prayers become transformed because our eyes are not on the brokenness of the world, but our eyes upon Jesus. Amen? That's what he's asking. Take it off yourself and off the world and put it upon Jesus. The second way to have your prayers transformed, he says we need to move from consumerism to contentment, from consumerism to contentment, with this very simple little petition. He goes, give us today our daily bread. God, you give, we receive, right? God gives, we receive. That's what he's saying. I thought about this, and I I thought, I don't think there's ever been a time in our lives, my wife, Sheila, and I ever had to pray because we had no food. God, give us today our daily bread. I mean, we've had tough times, don't get me wrong, but it seems like God has always given us food. And some of you have had to pray that. God, give us today our daily bread because you didn't have food. But I I don't think of bread just as food that he's talking about here. Give us today, I believe what he's saying here is our daily need, what we need for today. That could be food. That could also be physical. That could be your mortgage payment needs to get paid, your rent needs to get paid, uh, utility bills need to get paid, the doctor bills need to get paid. Lord, give us today for our needs for today. Give us what we need for today is what he's saying. Right today, that's what he's asking. In Proverbs 30, there's a couple proverbs that are kind of linked together there, and where they, the writer says this, he says, don't make us wealthy, God, because in our wealth we may be tempted to forget you. And that would be a horrible thing, but sometimes that happens in our wealth. Because we're wealthy, uh, it can blind us to our need to God, right? We start depending upon our wealth and all that we have, and it blinds us to our need. But right in the next proverb it says, but don't give us poverty, because in our poverty we may be tempted to steal, and that would be horrible and on all levels, right? We'd be wrong on all levels. So give us food for today. Literally, the wording is, give us food convenient for today, or give us what we need today is what we're asking. And I thought about that. I thought, wow, that, that's a great prayer. But wouldn't it be better to pray, God, give me what I need for the rest of my life. Isn't that a good prayer? Give me what I need for the rest of my life. It seems like that's what we like to pray. But just maybe that Jesus wanted to move us from the sphere of consumerism It is placed of contentment, trust, and dependence on him each and every day. Just like the Israelites are in the Old Testament. They're wandering through the desert. They needed food and they needed water. And they prayed, God, give us food. And God provided them manna every day. But that manna didn't last for the next day. It would deteriorate and rot and it was inedible. But God provided for that day. So they prayed, God, give us what we need for today so that we would simply trust him. Trust him when we move from consumerism to contentment. And the question is, are you willing to trust God every day for your need? It doesn't mean we don't plan for the future. It doesn't mean we don't plan for retirement. We'd be fools not to. We got to plan for those things. But we don't worry about those things. We trust God, and God says, What I promise to give you is for today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. When I get to tomorrow, God give me what I need for today. Your grace, your mercy, all that. And tomorrow. For today. We keep doing it. That's how God wants us to live. It gives us this dependence and trusting him. And I need you in my life. And that's what God wants from us, because we do need him. When God gives us too much, sometimes we think, I don't need God. And God, I'll come back to you next time I need you. And it could be a long time before we come back. And God says, no, I want you to trust me every day, every day, because you need me. The third way you can have your prayers transformed is to move from radical independence to repentant reconciliation. In verse 12, he gives the first petition. He says here, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. That verse there, I, I don't think it's talking about monetary debt, because verses 14 and 15 kind of provide the commentary in verse 12. Let's read verses 14 and 15. He says this, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What does that mean? It means forgiveness is a really, really big deal, right? And we want forgiveness, we have to forgive. But yet, the forgiveness of God is not conditional upon our forgiveness. Let me say that again. The forgiveness of God is not conditional upon our forgiveness, right? Our forgiveness is the result of His forgiveness of us. We need to understand that. Let me tell you what it's not saying. So I want you to make sure you make this clear so you understand this. He is not saying if you don't forgive, then God's not going to forgive you. He's not saying that. Why do I know that? Because my forgiveness is not based upon me. My forgiveness is based on what Jesus did on the cross for me, right? That he died on the cross for my sins. And my forgiveness is not based on a work that I do. It's based on the work that Jesus did, right? And Jesus died and he paid for all my sins past present and future. All my sins have been forgiven by Jesus. So it's not talking about that. Because my sins are not based upon me being forgiven. They're based upon Jesus. So what is he talking about here? What he's saying, you have been forgiven much by God. You have this huge, huge, huge debt of sin that God paid for. He talks about that in the parables. That we had this huge debt that was paid for at the cross that's paid for us. And we understand that. That we think that Others have sinned against us, but God gives all of us have this mountain. I mean, this mountain of debt, of sin that Jesus paid for us upon the cross. And as a result of that forgiveness of all that we've been forgiven, we forgive. And if we don't forgive on an ongoing basis, we need to look back at the reality of our own confession of faith, that our forgiveness is a sign of the reality of, of the truth that we have been forgiven much. We need to look at our own. If I'm not forgiving others what they've done to me, I need to check out the only reality of my faith and say, have I really accepted Jesus' forgiveness? Because if I have, I should be forgiving. But let me say this. Sometimes people have been hurt so deeply and so badly that forgiveness isn't a moment, but it's a process. It's a process. It takes time to forgive. And I understand that. But an unforgiveness to be prolonged is not a good sign of the reality of one's faith. Let me say this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are commanded to forgive. It may take a process to do that. And I want to share this. You forgiving someone doesn't mean you forget. Doesn't mean what they did was all right. Doesn't mean that that relationship you had with them is going to be restored. Doesn't mean you have to trust them again. But we have to forgive. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven us all of our debt, all of our sin, all of it. And our sin, what we've done against Jesus, is greater than anything that anybody's done against us. We may not think it is, but it is. The mountain of sin that we have in front of Jesus, who is perfect and holy and just in all his ways, is huge. And he says, because I've forgiven you, I've given you the ability and the grace, the capability to forgive others. And when you and I choose not to forgive, what happens in our lives is sooner or later anger, And that anger turns into bitterness toward that person, and it just eats away at us from the inside out. That that's all we think about. If we put ourselves in a prison, in this prison, because we're always thinking what that person did to us. They did this to us. They did this to me. They did this to me. And God says, let it go. So in that forgiveness, when we come, where Jesus says, I'll give you the grace to forgive others, we forgive them and say, God, I'm not going to put my trust in that person, but I'm going to put my trust in you. And if they've done something to me that is, that needs something to be done about vengeance is god not ours we are called to forgive to forgive we are commanded because long as we have hearts that are holding uh with unforgiveness in them and that anger and bitterness kind of comes to us our hearts are not tender toward god and he can't use us so we have to be do what he calls us to do is to forgive others of what they've done doesn't mean it's going to go on like it did before. doesn't mean I have to trust him. doesn't mean any of that. God would like to see reconciliation, but many times that's not going to happen. But we have to forgive them. We have to trust them with Jesus. Not trust the person that I'm forgiving, but trust them with Jesus, right? Trust Jesus in the process. And God will give you the grace and the mercy. He'll give you the capability and the ability to forgive. But you got to forgive. Don't hold on to it. We can forgive. We have to forgive. Jesus is saying, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. He's asking that. When we pray, oftentimes in my prayer, I don't know about you, but sometimes I catch myself, and I'm right away ready, God, forgive me of this, this, and this, and this, and I have to stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. God, let me tell you what you mean to me. That's what we need to start. God, what you mean to me? That you're my God, and you created me. You sustained me. You called me by name. You loved me. You died on the cross for my sins, and I worship you. I love you. And God, by your forgiving grace, forgive me of this and this and this and this. Most of the sins we know. We confess them when we're supposed to. And confession isn't we're telling God something he doesn't know. God already knows what we did, right? He already knows it. we're just agreeing with God. Yes, God, that was a sin. You're right. He brings them to us and we, for, we confess it. The psalmist in Psalm 51 says about the secret sins of our hearts. Sometimes we have those blind spots in our hearts, that, in our lives, that other people see, but we don't see ourselves. And so we have to come, and it's a good time to pray and say, God, show me things in my heart that maybe I'm not seeing, but you show me if I have anything between us and God, because we don't want to have anything between us and God. If there's anything in my life between me and you, God, show it to me so I can confess it, so I can make it right. And when you pray that, it's a good idea not to just move on real quick, but give God some time to show you, and he will. Maybe some things you don't want to see, but God will show you. And it's a time just to confess and say, God, I agree, that's wrong, that's sin. Help me to overcome that. Help me to confess it and then move on and help me not to do it again by the power of your Holy Spirit. That's what we're supposed to do, right? So Jesus is saying in this last request, he goes to the next request in verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Would God ever lead us into temptation? No. So what is meant by this? He's saying forgive us our our debts, okay, we've messed up, we, we've sinned, we're, we're trying to navigate through this broken world, but we all have a sinful nature. Even though I've been saved by the grace of God, I still have this sinful nature, and I have the propensity to sin. We all do. That's where our nature is drawn toward that. The flesh is drawn toward sin, not to do God's will, to do our own thing, right? That's what we want. It's it's difficult sometimes to do God's will, so we're drawn to that. And so looking ahead, he's saying in verse 13, "...and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In other words, Jesus is saying in in his prayer, he's saying this, our dependence, Lord, I I, I need you. I need you in my life because I'm not strong enough to face face the issues of this world. Lord, I'm not strong enough to face the temptations that are going to come my way. I need you, Lord. I need you. In those weak moments of my life, I need the word of God to sustain me be a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I need the Holy Spirit to give me strength when I have none on my own. To give me strength to resist those temptations that are going to come my way. They're going to come. Guaranteed they're going to come. God, give me the strength by the Holy Spirit to resist them. To don't give in to those temptations. To turn my back on them. Give me the strength. So he's closing his prayer. It's really important for us to see. He's closing his prayer like, Lord, forgive me what happened yesterday but Father, I need you for tomorrow. I need you. I need you for what happened yesterday. I can't change it. And I confess it. I I messed up. I sinned. But Lord, I need you tomorrow to help me tomorrow, to guide me, to lead me, to direct me into righteousness, resisting temptation. I need you. I need you, is what he's saying. So this prayer could transform our life, or perhaps God could give us transforming prayers as we pray this. But in closing, I wanted to make a comment about this prayer life, because I never meant, I don't think that God ever meant that this prayer When Jesus says, pray this way, I don't think he ever meant for you and I to recite this prayer over and 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 over over like many people do. I don't think that was ever God's intention. This is a relationship. And to think that we're going to go up and recite a few words and, hey, I'm good for today, I'm off running, that's not what God meant. It would be like your children coming up and you say, you know, every morning you wake up, I want you to tell me that you, that uh, you love me and you're thankful for me. And they come up and they say that to you. Mom and Dad, I love you, I'm thankful for you. And they say it day after day after day after day. Can you imagine your children, you're just saying words, and pretty soon they're saying it and almost running away as they're saying it. And that's the way this prayer can be. It's Yes, we want to quote God's Word, and we want to pray back God's Word, but so many times we make it just words. We might start out saying, yes... I believe this, and this has meaning, but sooner or later, it just becomes a bunch of words. And Jesus, I don't think he ever meant us just to say these words over and over and over to him without any meaning, because that's what they become with no meaning. He's saying, no, this is an outline, and I made each one of you different, unique, and I want you to come to me with how I've made you, and I want this to be the outline that you use. So we come to him, and we say, God, we start off with we worship our Father. God, you are holy and righteous, and you're just, and you're beautiful, and you're amazing, in all your ways that you're my God and I'm your child. And we recognize who he is. That's what begins in our prayers. That's what he's saying, to come to me and worship and praise me. And then after we've done that, and so we spend some time with him in doing that, we come and we're thankful. God, I'm so thankful for my salvation. I'm so thankful for my family. I'm so thankful that you've, you provide for me, you've given to me. And we give him all the thankfulness that we have in our hearts so we come and thank him. And then after that, we confess our sins. Lord, I'm so thankful for your forgiving grace that you've given me, that forgive me for this and this and this and all these sins. And when we come to God, as I said before, we're not revealing anything he doesn't know. He knows their sins, and we're just coming and agreeing with him. But when we come and ask for forgiveness, the the key to forgiveness that so many people miss is I ask God, forgive me for being angry or or whatever it may be, then we leave that there. We don't pick it up and wonder what that's sin. We leave it there and say, God, ask for forgiveness, and now, God, you have it. Not to bring it up again. He said, I promise to cast it into the deepest oceans, as far as the east is from the west, never to bring it up again. So we leave it there. But so many times we ask God for forgiveness, but we don't accept his forgiveness. We still take it with us and still have it. No, God says, leave it with me. You've given it to me now. It's mine. Leave it there. And so we can go on like it's never happened. We go on with our lives. But then also, we don't just stop there confessing our sins. We go on and we say, God, now I need you. I need you in my life to sustain me. I need you in my life, the power of the Holy Spirit to guide me and lead me, to resist the temptations that's going to come in my life, because there's going to be many that's going to come in my life. And I need you to help me so I walk according to your way. Follow the way of Jesus in my life. And then after we do all that, that's the outline Jesus giving, then I come within my supplication and praying for others. Praying for others' finances or whatever is going spiritual or physical needs, and I'm praying for them. And then after I do that, then I begin to pray for myself. God, I have this meeting going on. I have this coming in my life. I'm going to the doctor today for whatever it may be. You see the prayer? You see how this is a relationship? It's not you and I getting up and giving off my petition. God, do this, 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 or this, and I walk away. We may have got into an ATM machine, and God never meant to be that. It's a relationship. You wouldn't want your children to come up every day and tell you, Mom and Dad, I need this amount of money. I need this, this. Give me my money. Give me my money. Let me go on my way. You wouldn't like that. It's a relationship. And God wants us to have a relationship. So Jesus was saying, this is how your prayer life should be so you can have transforming prayers. And he was given this beautiful outline. But when people just repeat it over and over and over and over and over, it doesn't no longer become a prayer. It becomes just recitation. just becomes a bunch of words. And I'm sure Jesus, he said that to the Pharisees. You know what they do? The hypocrites, those religious leaders, they repeat their prayers over and over and over with repetition, thinking because they've repeated it so many times that I'm obligated to answer their prayers. And Jesus says, not don't pray like them. But go into your room silently and close the door and pray to your heavenly father. And God wants you to pray to him with your words, to pray with him with your own heart. And so we come to him, we use this as an outline. And come and say, God, I'm going to pray. Does it make sense? Does it make sense? Hopefully you're following what i am said. I'm not saying you can't use God's word, and he wants us to use his word and pray, but just to recite that over and over is so many other people say to you, "I, I don't see that. It's not a relationship. We don't see that anyplace else. We say, Paul, I don't see when Paul is praying for people, he's reciting that prayer, but he's using it as an outline. Watch how Paul prays. He uses it as an outline. We see it when he has those amazing prayers that we see in some of his epistles he uses it as an outline but he's not reciting that prayer we see that prayer again in Luke, but it's an outline for us to follow and to pray but if you're here today just praying that prayer praying that outline is not going to get you to heaven if you don't know jesus christ is your savior that's where you have to start and if you are here today you're not sure that if you were to die today you would go to heaven please listen to me and everyone else here listen to me too to make sure that you know this, that God loves you. Understand it. God loves you. Loves you more than you can fathom. He loves you. He created you with a purpose and meaning and has a plan for your life. And his plan for your life is that you would have a relationship with him. He wants to have a relationship with you. But because of your sin, not just yours, my sin, all of us have sinned, we have been separated from a holy, just, righteous, perfect, loving God. We've sinned against him. And because of that, there's a great a gap between us and God, a great chasm between us and God that we cannot approach because we're sinners by nature, and he's perfect, holy, and righteous, and just in all of his ways. He's never sinned. So we can't approach him. So there's nothing we can do. We're stuck in our, in our position. We're stuck in this, helpless and hopeless in our condition. And God knows this. So God says, i got to fix the problem. It's going to be fixed. So God sent his son, Jesus, the son of God. He left the throne room of heaven, who is God, And he came down and he took on the form of a human being. He became a man for us. He became the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. Only one like him. There's no one else like Jesus. And he came down to this earth, the incarnate God. And he came down here on this earth, and he lived the perfect life. He never sinned. And then when he went to the cross, up on that cross, the reason he went to the cross, we're going to be celebrating that just a few weeks, Easter, a Good Friday and Easter. He went to that cross because on that cross, God took all of your sins— All those things that separate you from a holy, just, righteous, perfect God. And he placed them upon Jesus. And Jesus died on that cross to pay for your sins. Your sin debt was paid in full. Jesus took your place upon that cross. He died for you so that you might have a relationship with God. But just knowing about that, just knowing what Jesus did is not enough. The Bible says that we have to accept what Jesus did by faith. And we do that by coming and saying, God, I, I know I'm a sinner. And we all are. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. That's our nature. And, and I know that I'm separated from you because of my sin. And I know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he's God, and he is. And that he died on the cross for my sins. So today, I accept what Jesus did for me, that he paid for my sins upon the cross. I trust him as my Savior by faith. And if you've never done that, please do that today. As I've said, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's believing, have put your faith in that belief that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus died on the cross for you. It's believing who Jesus is and what he did. And if you've never done that, please do that today. If you have questions about that, see me after the service. But that's the most important thing you can do, right? It's the most important, is accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, there might be somebody in this room, you've been here for 10 years, 20 years, but you've heard it so many times you've never done it. Please, don't take it for granted. Oh, I know this. The pastor said this. The question is, have you accepted it into your own heart? Have you accepted Jesus by faith? Have you done it yourself? Not only heard about it, because if you've been here any time, you've heard about it every week, right? But you've received it yourself. Individually, I've accepted. Not my husband or my wife or my children or my parents. Have you done it yourself? Because your parents can't save you. Your children can't save you. Your spouse can't save you. Only Jesus saves. Amen? only jesus says if you're not accepting him do that today if you have questions please see me after the service because that's so important for all of us let's transform our prayer life by have transforming prayers they like taking this outline that jesus has given us and let's use it in our lives not just using jesus as an atm machine but having this relationship that's what he's saying because listen what god wants from you is your heart he wants your heart he, he's more interested in you than anything you will ever do for him. So he's after your heart, and that's what he wants. So let's give him our hearts, because once he has our hearts, he has everything else, right? And that's what he knows. He wants your heart. And that's what this, this Sermon on the Mount all about. Jesus is sharing his heart to capture your heart, because that's what he wants. Let's pray. Lord, come, and we praise you, because there is no one like you. There is no one like you. There's no name is the name of Jesus. There's no name under heaven which we are saved through Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful for Jesus and this Sermon on the Mount, all that he teaches us, Lord, all that he gives us these truths, that he clarifies, Lord, and helps us to understand it a little bit more clearly, that he gives us this outline for prayer that we would follow in our lives to to understand this is how you want us to pray. This is what gives us transforming prayers that increase our prayer life, so it transforms our lives and transforms others, Lord. Help us to pray this way. Help us, Lord, where we yield our hearts and minds and, and that tendency, Lord, to just to be, to treat you like an ATM machine, Lord. Sometimes we just constantly ask and ask and ask that we never come and just adore you and to worship you and share with how much you mean to us and how great and wonderful and amazing you are. For God, you are a wonderful God, amazing in all of your ways. You're omnipotent. You're our creator. You are our God, and we are your children. We come unbidden in need to you because there is no one like you. There's no one loves us as much as you do. For you sent your son who died on the cross for our sins, and we come. And certainly we're so thankful for all that we have. We're thankful for our salvation. We're thankful for the life that you give us. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. We're so thankful for the word of God, which leads us in righteousness and truth, and we're guided by it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we come and we confess our sins that we may have in our life this morning, whether it may be anger, whether it may be, Lord, uh, hatred we have, whether it may be, Lord, our motivations aren't right, or maybe, Lord, we're just not in the Word of God, or maybe, Lord, we're not just praying at all, or whatever it may be. Maybe it be a broken relationship that we have. That there, Lord, we come and confess our sins, and, Lord, you already know what it is. Lord, we ask that you would check our hearts for any uh, secret sins that we have, that we don't even know about. Lord, reveal them to us, that we may confess them in our hearts, uh, to you from our hearts and minds, that we may be right with you. We have nothing between us, that we might be united in you with heart and mind. No sin between us. Lord, we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and guide us in our life, that we resist the temptations that may come in our life. Give us the strength, Lord to resist us. Give us the eyes that we see as temptation comes our way, that we might turn the other way and go. Help us to walk in the way of righteousness, and peace, and mercy, and your grace, and forgiveness. Have that in our lives. And Lord, we come and we pray for others, those who today may be sick. As Marla is in the hospital, we pray for your your a blessings would be upon her and guide her and lead her and help her. Lord, we just pray for her and lift her up. You know what's going on in her life. Any of us that has unspoken requests, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would just meet our needs, help us, give us wisdom and discernment that we need to be guided by your Spirit, because you have a will and you have a way for us to respond. Lord, if it's physical, you know what it is. We pray for your healing, Lord. We know you always heal. We trust you with that. we Lord, we pray that for others. Lord, we pray for ourselves so, Lord, we'd be be guided by your spirit. Whatever may come our way today, help us to live the life you've called us to live. Whatever we have in our lives, Lord, we pray as individuals and lift that up to you. Lord, we come to you in prayer because you're our God and we're your children. And you love us. And you tell us to come. And then you tell us that we come, that you've asked. You're not asking my name. Ask in my name and you will receive. So we come, Lord, and now. And ask it in the name of Jesus that we ask all these things, knowing that you love us. That's not in our authority, Lord, that you hear us. Not in our authority you move. It's in the authority of your Son, because he a- told us to ask in his name. And so we come on bending knees in humility, and we ask all these things. Whatever our prayers are this morning, we ask them of you. And, Lord, that you might move under the authority and the power of Jesus Christ and his perfection, his life. That we ask this, that we are childs because of him. We come in the name of Jesus. We ask all these things in that wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.